Um, let me do a, we're going to do a quick, where have we been? So if this is your first um, time here, that's great. So you can find out where we've been, but also uh, where we're going. And so where have we been? We've, we've, again, we, we've called this class, Love Thy Neighbor. And we began reading the passage of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is, is uh, someone who's of a different um, class, a different race, a different ethnicity. Uh, and the Good Samaritan is the one who is showing love and showing care and love uh, for the man who fell among the robbers. And uh, we are asking ourselves, how do we, what do we learn from that? And Jesus says, here's the parable of go love your neighbor. Um, and this is what that love looks like, of going outside and loving people outside of yourself. Someone might be different than you. Someone who might believe something different than you. Someone who might believe something different than you politically. Uh, something who, <laughs> aghast. Um, something, someone who is different uh, in, in some way. And so you ask, it's easy to love people like yourself. And so we've been saying, let's love our neighbors and applying this to sanctification and race. Um, and where we've been, we've been saying we want to, be, before we can actually love our neighbors, you have this crazy stare going on. <laughs> you were just like. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we can love our neighbor well, we need to know our neighbor well. Because you can't love someone. Uh, uh, you can, but you, it's superficial. I think Tim Keller has a great quote. It's like, is that it, uh, to be loved but not known is superficial. But to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be loved and known is what we all desperately need and desire. And that's how God loves us. He knows us and yet still loves us. But for us, we're trying to say, how do we, how do we love those of another ethnicity? Let's find out what's our history here and find out if, if there's been a 400 years of, of a dark history, that, if, that influences how we then love and, and, and talk about it. And so that's kind of where we've been. We've been looking at uh, history from slavery to emancipation, emancipation to the civil rights. Today we're going to be doing civil rights to modern day. And so then at the end of that, we'll be discussing some things. That's why we ask you to sit a little bit closer so that we can be discussing some current events. Um, this should be fun. Uh, <laughs> but how does what we've heard here influence how we talk about these things um, in, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our groups? And for where we're going, the rest of this class is going to be a lot more of that. We'll, we'll give you guys um, some thoughts on the colorblind theory next week. And then we'll break into groups and want to talk about it. Because it's one thing just to sit and absorb. It's another to apply and to um, chew on this material. And Malcolm and I have had some great conversations with people one-on-one -on -one after these classes, uh, getting coffee and saying, this is what we want to have happen in this class. And so this is exactly what we want to do, is have those types of conversations going, what did you mean by that? And honestly saying, we're on the same team. Let's figure this out. So, Malcolm. Cool. Um, <laughs> He's like, are you done? <laughs> Great. Um, so we're going to do, uh, I'm, I'm just going to talk about a few, a few more things today because this is going to be the last, it's not even going to be a lecture-heavy class. This is just going to be the last kind of, 20, 20 minutes or so of lecture before. I mean, the rest of our, the rest of our class is really going to be mostly us talking together. Um, so I'm going to talk about a few things. I'm going to talk about um, a little overview of the civil rights movement, talk about housing segregation and school segregation. 
some things that really that really affect kind of the way the 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 way the reasons why our country looks the way that it does that it does now. So starting um, so last week we talked a little bit about lynching, um, and actually one of the events that launches the civil rights movement is in fact a lynching, uh, the lynching of Emmett of, of Emmett Till. So Emmett Till, fifteen year old fifteen year old kid um, visiting family in in Money, Mississippi. And, um, and, and there's a, and, and so he's accused, so he's, he's, he's in a store and he's accused of whistling, of whistling at this woman named uh, Carolyn Bryant, whistling at her and calling her and calling her baby. And so, um, and so she tells her, I believe it's her husband and her brother about this. And so that, so that night, her husband and her brother Go to um, they get they go to they go to Emmett's house, two o'clock in the morning. Drag him out of drag him out of bed, and he's never seen again. Until a few days later, they find his they find his body at the bottom of a nearby of a nearby river, with a cotton gin tied around his neck to weigh him down, and his and his face and his face is unrecognizable. He's been beaten. To, he was he was he was beaten to the he was beaten to death and and shot. And when and when his mother saw his body, she insisted on there being an open casket. And she insisted on e everyone, who, everyone who came, she, she, she wanted everybody who came, who came to this funeral to see what had been done to her son. And, and interestingly, uh, the, these two men are taken, are taken to trial. They're acquitted by an all-white jury. And a few days later, they sell the story of how they of how, of how they killed Emmett Till to a local magazine. In 2008, Carolyn Bryant was interviewed about this particular instance, and she revealed to the interviewer that she lied about the whole thing. But this is the event. This is one of the events that that sparks the modern civil rights civil, uh, civil rights movement. Uh, the movement that we know from uh, the Montgomery bus boycotts, from individuals like Martin Luther King and my namesake Malcolm X. And so I want to I want to talk for just just for a second about about Martin about Martin and Malcolm um, because there's a there 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 are kind of common conceptions about what the two of them represent. Um, and an interesting thing to note is that. Uh, actually, Malcolm Malcolm X was 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 more popular in in African American communities than Martin Luther King was. Now, why might that be the case? Um, and so, my my mom named me my my mom named me after after Malcolm X, um, not because she wanted me to grow up to be a speaker in the Nation of Islam, but. Um, but because, but because, but because Malcolm X's story was one of uh, constant willingness to con to to convert. When he was arrested and he get, and he converted to the Nation of Islam in uh, in prison, um, the main I mean one of the main reasons that he did that was because he saw he saw that this he saw that this particular religion was was for him um, a path to a, a path a path to change. Um, he saw that he saw that kind of the trajectory that his life was on that led him to prison was not the path that he wanted to be on, um, and he thought and, and he thought that the Nation of Islam would be would be a way for him to for him to reform. He left the Nation of Islam when he found out that Elijah Muhammad 
the leader of the the leader of the nation at the time, was fathering children by a bunch of his secretaries and stuff like that. And this guy had and this and this and this guy had pumped himself up as this kind of moral exemplar. And Malcolm looked up to him and just repeated everything he said and all these kinds of things. But he separated from the nation of Islam when he no, when he noticed that that's what was going on. When he after he after he made his pilgrimage to Mecca. Um, you see, you see a shift in his in his tactics. So, what what Malcolm X is known for is kind of being the violent counterpart to Martin Luther King. Um, but it's important to emphasize the fact that the violence that he was advocating for was armed self-defense, and it came from this assumption: if somebody comes at you, I, because I value my life, have the right to come back at, to, to 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 defend myself. Um, one of my favorite quotes. It's funny because, in, apart from the gospel, this this is the this is the response that makes the most sense. Um, so let me find this real quick. Okay, this is in his this is in uh, this is in Malcolm's uh, speech titled "Message to the Grassroots." There's nothing in our book, the Quran, that teaches us to suffer peacefully. Our religion teaches us to be intelligent. Be peaceful, be courteous, obey the law, respect everyone, but if someone puts his hand on you, send him to the cemetery. That's a good religion. In fact, that's that old-time religion. That's the one that Ma and Pa used to talk about, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a head for a head and a life for a life. That's a good religion, and nobody resents that kind of religion being taught but a wolf who intends to make you his meal. This was a message. This was uh, this was a message that hit a number of African Americans just right in the just right in the gut, because on one because on one hand on one hand they heard they heard Martin Luther King say things like turn the other cheek and things like that, and then on the other hand they hear Malcolm X being like, it's perfectly fine for you to be angry. Like this is it's actually right for you to be angry in this in this kind of situation, and so and so I want us to understand kind of what's going on, particularly in the midst in the in the civil rights movement, the kinds of uh, the kinds of emotions that are present, and the kinds of and the kinds of reasoning for those for those kinds of emotions. Now, one of the main uh, one of the main kind of effects um, of the civil rights movement is this is is making things like housing and school and school segregation illegal. And so I want us to I want us to talk a little bit about um, about housing segregation. So how many of you are familiar with the practice of redlining? We have a good idea of what redlining is. So that's that's what I'm going to talk about for just a, for just a minute. And so after the after the Great Depression, the United States government set out to evaluate the riskiness of mortgages, and they get super racist along the way. And so in the late 1930s, the, the Homeowners Loan Corporation graded neighborhoods into four categories based in large part on their racial makeup. And so these are, these are, maps, that you can, these are maps that you can see online. If you, if you Google uh, mapping inequality, these four, um, uh, four, four, four I, I, ooh, I forget what their, um, what their discipline is. The four scholars got together, gathered all of this public, gathered all of this public information. As these are these are maps of cities from around the, from around the country. And these are and these are and these are and these are maps that the HOLC used to designate safe and unsafe neighborhoods. And so neighborhoods with minority occupants were marked in red, and they were considered high risk 
for mortgage lenders. And so when you, if, you, if, you were to, if you were to look at these maps and you could, you could zoom in on these red districts and you could see the reasonings that, that officials wrote in as to why, why, is, this, why is this section red. Um, and one of, the, uh, one of the most common kind of fill-ins was infiltration of Negroes. One B-grade neighborhood that goes A, B, C, D, A being the best. One B-grade neighborhood in, in Richmond, Virginia says, this was, this was written in, respectable people, but homes are too near Negro area. For some high-rated areas in Springfield, Illinois, it says, this is, this is considered the most exclusive or swank section in, in Springfield. The area is high-restricted, which means that it enforced strict rules barring non-white people from buying houses there. Other disturbing comments abound with officials applauding the cooperation of residents to prevent the spread of Negroes. You will notice that there is, uh, that that language suggests that black people are some kind of contagion. This, this, this disease that spreads, through, that spreads through cities and lowers property values and things like that. Um, that kind, of, that kind of coded language still, still, still remains, and it's clear from these practices, specifically back in the 30s, that purely because, purely because the population is black, they are, then, they are then basically seen as high risk for mortgages and then refuse, and then refuse those opportunities. And so as a result, you have, you, you, you have generations of families that are, that, are unable to, that are unable to buy houses and things like that. There's a story of a professor she uh, she calls uh, she, she she calls in to get a to get a, to get a loan for a home, and this was like this is within the past ten years. Um, she calls in to get to get a to get a to get a loan, um, and when she looks at the 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 application that has been populated for her, um, she sees that it has that the that the, that the person who she talked to has marked her as white, and she's not white; she's black. And so she calls back in and and makes this correction. Until she makes this correction, everything had been going smoothly. After she makes this correction, she finds that there are a number of obstacles that she now faces. And she's a, and she's a, she's a, she's a professor, oh, which is, where is she a professor? I can't, this is, it's, institutions are leaving my head right now. But, um, but this is not, it's not an uncommon. Um, it's not. It, it's not an uncommon experience to experience to see. And so that's 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 a that's a very that's a very kind of concrete way um, that 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 particularly this is this is one of the ways in which um, in which the federal government has been an obstacle to progress. Though there have been though there have obviously been been reforms since then, the effects of those the effect the effects of those policies still remain. Now, school segregation is another beast in and of itself. One of the main, one of the main effects of Jim, of Jim Crow, that is, that is legal segregation, um, was the segregation of schools. Now, this is officially done away with in Brown versus Board of Education. But there's a phrase in Brown versus Board of Education that makes enforcement uh, up, to, up to the individual to a certain extent. And it's that phrase that says that this is to be done with all deliberate speed. 
Now, for many southern states, all, de all deliberate speed means as slowly as possible, if ever. One example of such a state, one of my favorites, the state of Alabama, which I joke that I don't go to Alabama without, without an escort. Um, so Alabama's constitution is the longest active constitution in the world. It is 44 times as long as the United States Constitution. It is 12 times as long as the average state, constitu as the average state constitution. And it's three times as long as the, as the longest national constitution, which is India's. It's about half the size of the Bible, a little less than half the size of the Bible. And in this, and, and, and in, its, in its current version, this is an amended version of the, of the, 1901, of the 1901 Alabama Constitution where the, uh, the conveners got together, and you can, you can read this, like in the first, in, when, they, when they have their first meeting where they're, where they're writing this thing. The goal is to establish white supremacy in the state of Alabama uh, within the, basically within federal guidelines. Like that's just, that's, those are just the words that are said. That's what they say. Um, and so, in there, uh, if you were to if you were to look if you were to look if you were to look at it, you would see that uh, it is still suggested that um, that schools are segregated. Um, the the amendment to uh, banning interracial marriage, uh, while that was officially while that was officially done away with with the Supreme Court case Loving versus Virginia the amendment to change their constitution doesn't come in until the year 2000. But the school segregation thing is an interesting, is an interesting point. Because after, after Brown versus Board of Education, there's an amendment made to Alabama's constitution that says uh, that the state of Alabama does not guarantee Alabama children an education. And it also encourages the building of private schools, specifically to dodge desegregation. And this is actually a practice across, this is, this is a practice across the South, where you have an encouragement coming from, coming, coming from state governments to build private schools, to dodge desegregation, because the idea is you build these private schools and then you don't have to go to school with, with black kids. Um, and so uh, I, was, I, was, I was talking to Desiree about this because um, she went to Trinity, Trinity Christian Academy in Addison, Texas. And, uh, and, and, and that was founded as a segregation academy. Um, and, and that's a history, and, and, and that's just a history that a, lot of people, that a lot of people don't know. But when you see a, a lot of these private schools pop up in the, in the 60s and 70s, particularly across the South, that's the reason for a lot of those. And it wasn't until 1976 that you have a, that you have a, that you have another that you have another Supreme Court case that then says that private schools can't discriminate on the on the basis of race. And so, as a result of that, a number of these schools either close, merge with other schools, or change their admissions criteria. But I but I want us to I, I, I want us to see um, I want us to I want us to see that this is a that this is a thing that bleeds into. Um, it bleeds into many, I mean, almost every aspect of American, of American life. And the effects of it, um, the effects of it take, take much more than 30 or 40 years to do, to do away with. Um, and so uh, there, are other, there are other things that, that we're going to mention, I think, over the, 
over the course of this over the course of this class, we're going to talk about things um, like mass incarceration and um, and 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 kind of ways to ways to deal with that. How how we how we how, how we got to the position we are now, where we have I believe it's uh, five percent of the world's population, but twenty five percent of its incarcerated population. Um, those those kinds of things are things that we're going to that we're going to discuss over the course of the class. Um, but I want us to, I mean, the goal of these past few weeks has been for us to get an idea of just kind of the weight, the weight of American history and, 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 and that that can help us interpret, interpret the events around us. And so before we have a, we have a quick, uh, like two letters that we're going to read and respond to, but I want to talk about, huh? Uh, we could, we could, we could, I, do you want to do the Do you want to do the Dallas case first, or do you want to do that? Okay, we'll do that one first. We'll do that one first, and then we'll and, and, and then we'll talk about some current some current events. Um, so this is so this, in in divided by faith. This book that we've um, that we've encouraged you you all if you if you, if you have an opportunity to read it. Um, there is a there there was kind of a letter um, a letter exchange. This is back in. This is in the seventies, I think it is, um, and this guy, this guy writes in. Uh, I think it's to Christianity Today or something like that. But he writes in, kind of as an as an anonymous black person, to an anonymous white person, um, and then uh, and then a white woman responds. And I want us to take a look at um, the way that these two letters frame the issue at hand. And I want us to pay close, pay close attention to those, to those kinds of dynamics. And so if, once you get these, I want you to turn to about, maybe four, after, after you read it, turn to like the four or five people around you um, and discuss, we'll talk about the first, the first letter first. How does, he, how, does he frame, how does he frame the issue and how does he frame its solutions? And then we'll spend a few minutes, hmm? Okay. I'll get my last copy just, out. <laughs> there are just so many of you. That's great. That's great. All right, so the first one is, uh, is Dear White Person, written by an African-American uh, anonymously to Christianity Today. And hear what you, see what you think about it. Dear White Person, although we have known each other for centuries, we have not truly known each other. I, the black person, feel I know more about you because I had to. My will to survive forced me to learn about you. I was forced to learn your ways of doing things, forced to accept your concepts and values, and yet denied the right to share them. If I tell you that I have hostility and anger within me, how do you interpret those emotions? Do they make me a savage who will riot and burn your property? It seems to me that our society is presently paying for the many years of wrongs done to the black person. In my rational moments, I can understand that you are a product of your forefathers' teachings and are not entirely to blame for your feelings toward me. But if you or I should pass feelings of racial hatred to our children, we stand condemned before God. Along with my feelings of anger and hostility, there is a strong sense of disappointment. This disappointment is felt most keenly towards those who had taught me of God's love for all mankind. I am still forbidden to attend some of your evangelical colleges and churches and to be your neighbor. I have been referring to myself as the black person, but I still feel I have not been allowed to reach complete adulthood. You have made me doubt my ability to compete with you intellectually. 
and you keep stunning this, stunting this area of my life with inferior school systems. I, the black person, suggest that you really get to know yourself. Evaluate your life experiences and see how they may have given you your views of the black person. If that happens, it will enable us to love and to live together and enjoy the blessing God intended us to share. Your fellow human being and future friend, the black person. All right, so as Malcolm said, uh, get, get with four other folks and uh, just answer, you know, what is your response to this? How do you hear this? Uh, given the, what we've heard, again, we said we wanted to know our neighbor, for, hear the history, and you're able to understand and respond to something like this, okay? So. And this is a safe, it's a safe space. <laughs> you can be honest with one another. Um, this I, is, it, it, if those kinds of discussions can't happen here, they can't happen anywhere. Um, so, so, so we are, I know we're taking a risk in, in, opening, this, in, in opening this up, but, this, but that's, what the, that's what the goal of especially these next, these next few weeks is going to, is going to be. Um, so yes, so take, take about four or five minutes. Five minutes. Seventy-one, I think. This was written in 1971.
All right, people, we're going to bring it back. As a completely, as a slightly unrelated side note, Slim reminded me to just give this anecdote. Um, just so you know, uh, Professor X and Magneto, the X-Men, uh, that is loosely modeled off of the Martin Luther King Malcolm X dynamic. That is, that is self-conscious. Just so you know, when you go back and read those comics, you can keep that in mind. Now, back to the matter at hand. Um, what 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 it's came important. out of what came out of this what came out of this discussion? What did we what did we discover? What did we discuss? Winback. The letter felt, could felt like the letter could have been written today. There were a lot of questions about the date. Um, it was written in 1971, but there are a lot of those a lot of those sentiments that yes still remain. Other thoughts. Other reactions. Desiree? <laughs> huh? Oh, I, that's why I have him. We've got four, <laughs> four eyes. That's really good. That's really good. Is y'all here here? <laughs> good. Good. Are you treated like a full citizen, like a human being? The, do you have dignity, which is what Malcolm X was arguing for, black dignity, right? And so are, is, do you have value, whether you are even the same skin color, but a minority in that country? Um, It seems like stuff like this, the, the redlining, like you said, there could be like plausible deniability that, well, it's not just based on, on race. It's, it's a number of other factors, but you look at the clear cut lines ethnically where, it, where people are allowed to live, but they, they can give another excuse, even though sometimes the excuse is right there within there. They, they 